on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words in returning from the tomb. They told all, thing, all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women and them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is that it is I myself. Touch me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to get it out and turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We're looking at Luke 24, verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to skip over and look at verses 36 through 43. You know, I've been thinking lately about this, this simple question that, that really could potentially change everything about my life, and, and it's why remain a Christian? Why be a Christian in the first place? But if, if, if I am a Christian, and I, I am, why remain a Christian? I, you know, I started thinking back, I don't know, I've been kind of nostalgic recently. I went to Mississippi State-Kentucky baseball game uh, earlier this week, and it just brought back so many memories. My first cousin who who ended up dying tragically in a plane crash he, he pitched for the University of Kentucky and we would go to the games and, and I would get to see him pitch and you know it was always so special and then after after his death it was never really the same so you know I never went back to see Kentucky play baseball until last week and we went back and we got to see them play and it was just so special I mean I even just like teared up a little bit you know seeing the blue jerseys out there now they got crushed by Mississippi State but whatever you know um but I've been thinking a lot about just growing up, and, and I grew up in the church. I mean, my parents were, were in the church, and I was in the nursery when I was a baby and grew up in Sunday school, and I still remember Varlene Stokes as my second-grade Sunday school teacher, one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met in my life, and I remember Paula Felty, who was my fifth-grade Sunday school teacher, who, who gave me my first 
you know, love for the word of the Lord and, and also made me scared to death to leave the church to go to the bathroom, you know, while the preacher was preaching, you know, don't interrupt the preacher, you know, she would tell us every single Sunday before we went up. She would line us up, fifth grade boys, she would line us up outside the bathroom and make us go in one at a time so that we wouldn't interrupt the preaching of the word. But she loved the word, you know, and so she instilled that love for the word in me. But I also saw a lot of other things growing up. I saw a lot of hypocrisy. I saw a lot of people who, you know, even, even people in my own family teaching Sunday school, but then seeing how they lived, it was so, it was so opposite of what they were, you know, for professing to believe. And I struggled with that. And when I got in high school, I, I kind of lost my focus a little bit. And I, I remember thinking, this would be so easy to abandon, you know? I mean, I, I could do plenty of other things on Sundays. Um, I remember growing up, you know, I didn't want to be a part of the youth group, and so my dad was like, well, hey, man, just, like, come to our Sunday school class, and then my dad and I were kind of wired the same way, and we were like, nah, that's not really helpful. Let's just hang out down here and eat donuts until church starts, and then we'll go up to the balcony together and sit, and then maybe we'll stay for the whole time, but usually we would sneak out because my dad didn't want to be asked to pray because that's what they did in my church is, like, for the offering. It, you never knew who was going to pray, you know. It was just the preacher would just call on someone, so my dad would hide in the back the whole service and then sneak out right before the of the sermon I was always wanting him to get caught doing that and be like brother Keith you're going to close this in prayer on your way down the steps um but um I I remember thinking this would be so easy to give up yeah I believe in Jesus but I you know I don't know what's the big deal and then I started reading more in the gospels and I started I started reading more about the resurrection and and y'all this is what keeps me Christian. Luke 24. Luke 24 keeps me Christian. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure some of you have bad experiences in the church. Some of you have been mistreated by people in the church. And a lot of times Jesus' followers give people in the world a good reason not to follow Jesus because of the way that they fail to follow Jesus. And I, I can be guilty of that myself. But then I get back to the resurrection. I'm like, I can't. I can't leave. I can't leave. If this is true, if this is true, if Luke's account in Luke 24 is true, I can't go anywhere. I have to fall at the feet of Jesus and bow before him and worship him with joy and gladness and with confusion. And even though I don't understand all of it, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to understand everything that's in the Bible. And there are parts of the Bible I'm like, I don't get that at all. Why is that even there? And then I just have to submit, but I don't understand. I get back to the resurrection, and I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I can understand all of it or not. It doesn't matter how many bad experiences I have had. It doesn't change the fact that either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then we have every reason to stop this go home and find something else to do on Sunday. But if he is risen, if he did rise from the dead, then we can't offer him anything but full, wholehearted devotion. You see, the world changed in the first century. Thousands upon thousands of Jews and Greeks abandoned centuries-old philosophies and theologies overnight and started worshiping Jesus. It, it, was, it was unfathomable. It was unthinkable. 
I mean, scholars have pointed out that this type of theological shift that we see in history in the first century, that type of theological shift typically took decades or longer to occur. It would be teacher after teacher, leader after leader coming upon the scene and, and sharing, like, here's, here's what this new religion's all about. And then over time, people be like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, I think I can give up this and give up that, and I, I think that makes sense to me. In the first century, overnight, thousands of people started worshiping Jesus. And for one reason, they believed that he was raised from the dead. That's what kick-started a new faith, a new religion. And we can only account for that in one of two ways. There are two options. Either number one, thousands of people were led to believe a made-up story, the delusion of Jesus' grieving friends. Or, the resurrection really happened. And it's important for us this morning to know which option is more plausible. Because if the resurrection really happened, then we cannot waste any more time not living for Jesus. And if the resurrection didn't happen, then we need to stop giving him any of our time at all. It's, it's opposite ends of the spectrum. Either give, give Jesus everything or nothing. Live totally for him or not at all. And your deciding factor on how you should live is wound up in whether or not Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Luke has gone to great lengths to show us that the resurrection is an undisputable fact of history. And so what I want us to do is to dive into Luke 24. We're going to look at various parts of this chapter. And we're going to look at the eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. And as we dig into this passage, I want us to ask three questions. And if you got notes when you came in, those questions are on your notes. Three simple questions. First, what happened? What happened? That's what Luke 24 is primarily about. He doesn't really get into explaining things. He just wants you to know what happened. So that's the most important question, what happened. Second, why does it matter? After we conclude what actually happened, we need to ask, why does it matter that that thing happened? And then finally, if it matters that much, how do we get in on it? How do we get in on the resurrection? All right, so what happened, why does it matter, and how can we get in on it? Let's start with Luke. Actually, we're going to go back to Luke 23, but with this question, what happened? And here's the answer. Luke's wanting to show us. Jesus was raised bodily from the dead he wasn't raised spiritually he wasn't raised metaphorically jesus was raised bodily from the dead meaning that there was a corpse that was lifeless and then there was a body the same body that had life again in it okay so luke takes time much time luke 24 is a long chapter to show us evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And I want us to consider six pieces of evidence, and we're going to run through this pretty quickly. The first is his detailed burial. So back up with me to Luke 23, starting in verse 50. And, and listen to how Luke tells this story. So Jesus has died, and we get to verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action and he was looking for the kingdom of God this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus 
Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandments. So Jesus was buried by this righteous man named Joseph who was seeking the kingdom of God. He was actually a part of the council that, that sentenced Jesus to death, and he was in opposition in that meeting. We're not sure if he was actually a part of it, if he separated himself, or he was actually a, a dissenting, no, this is not right. But Joseph was Jesus's man. He was an ally of Jesus, and he went to great lengths to care for the body of Jesus. And then we see that some of Jesus's female followers followed Joseph. So Joseph takes the body of Jesus down, or he takes the body of Jesus to take it to a tomb to lay it, and these women who were really close to Jesus, they follow Joseph. And so they want to see for themselves where Jesus is being placed, and they see the place where Jesus' body is laid. And then they left to prepare spices and ointments to complete Jesus' burial and to grieve. Now, why so much detail from Luke? Well, first, very simply, that's just what happened. That's the information Luke had. He's like, oh, okay, this is what I've heard. This is what I know happened, so I'm going to write this down. It's, it, we don't need to complicate it. But why do you believe that he took so much time to emphasize these details? Because Luke does not want there to be any question or doubt about what has happened. Jesus really died. You see, people who want to act like the resurrection didn't happen, one theory they have is that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. You know, he got, he, he was really exhausted, he was, he was going in and out of consciousness, but when they took him down from the cross, they thought he was dead, but he really wasn't. First of all, the Romans, I promise you, would never have allowed that to happen. They don't fail in their executions, okay? They, they are very good at putting people to death, and so they were, that, that would not have happened. But Luke wants you to see this very clearly. It's so repetitive. The body of Jesus is being laid in this tomb, and Joseph, who cared for Jesus, is the one who's doing it. And the women who love Jesus follow, and they see Jesus' body lying in the tomb. Jesus really died. His body was lifeless, and that must have been so surreal for his followers who, less than a week before, were marching with him into Jerusalem as he rode on the back of a donkey to the songs of the people. But regardless, their friend, their leader, their hopeful savior was really and truly gone. Okay, that's the first piece of evidence, the, the burial. The second is expectations, okay? We see this in the actions of both the male and female disciples. So the male disciples are nowhere to be found here because they're hiding. And, and the female disciples are preparing for a burial. So neither the male nor female followers of Jesus were expecting resurrection. It wasn't, it wasn't on their radar at all that Jesus might be alive, that he might come back from the dead. So if you notice, none of the men are present at all. And it's the women who are brave enough to show their faces in public because the men are scared to death that they're going to face the same fate as Jesus. So they're hiding. But if they knew or they thought that Jesus might, even the slight possibility that he might be coming back from the dead, don't you think that they might have gone to the tomb just to check it out, just to see? Well, they didn't because their hearts were not filled with anticipation. Their hearts were filled with agony. 
because they knew Jesus was gone and he wasn't coming back. The same is true for the women because they're taking spices and they're taking ointments to the grave to anoint the body. When they come back to the tomb, they're expecting to see death and decay. None of the disciples would have even thought to invent a story about a resurrected Jesus. How could these people go from not even having a resurrection on their minds at all to one day saying to themselves, you know, it would be a great story if, if, if we started telling people that he was, he was actually alive again. So let's go steal his body and take it here, and then we'll, we'll tell everyone he's, he's alive. No, it's not on their radar, not at all. No expectation of resurrection. Third example of evidence that Luke gives us, the empty tomb. And we got to take this slowly. we got to go piece by piece. Luke is very deliberate. We read in verse 1 of chapter 24, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. I love how Luke is so deliberate. He's not too quick. He's written this 40 to, you know, 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He knows the end of the story, but he's so slow. He's so deliberate. He says they walked in the tomb, and all that they knew at that point is that the body was gone. The body was gone. And you can imagine their surprise when they entered the tomb and they found it empty. They saw the body of Jesus hanging on the cross. They saw the body of Jesus as he was taking his last breath. They saw his body taken down. They saw his body taken to the burial place. And they saw the place where Joseph laid him. But now they walk in that same tomb and the body of Jesus is not there. And while there may be multiple possible explanations at this point, at minimum we can say that the disciples themselves had nothing to do with it because they are shocked when they come to the tomb and they find that it is empty. Where is the body of Jesus? You notice their first thought was not, well, he must, he must be alive. They're perplexed. They're confused. The tomb is empty. Fourth example, fourth piece of evidence here comes with the angels. So look at verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Okay, so two angels now appear to the women who are distraught and confused and probably in tears over the body of Jesus being missing. And they come and they ask a question. They deliver an announcement and then they offer a reminder. They first ask, why do you seek the living among the dead? How, how confused the women must have been at this point. They knew Jesus was dead. And the angel says, why are you looking for someone who is dead when he is actually alive? You don't come to the graveyard to find someone who is alive. 
This is their, their glorious way of announcing that Jesus is alive. And then they clarify it with the announcement, he is not here. But then, why is he not here? He is risen. And then the angel reminds them, hey, look, this is not crazy. Remember, Jesus told you that this was going to happen. He reminds them, remember how he told you when he was in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And evidently, everyone forgot about this last part. And on the third day, rise. The women, they must have been mystified, confused, maybe even unsure if it could really be true. But now the news has been shared. The reason the tomb was empty, the reason the body was gone, was because Jesus was alive again. Now, this is where it's really important for us to notice that the angels, when they say that Jesus is alive, they are not talking about spiritual life. You know, they're not saying, hey, listen, don't fret. Don't be so upset, Jesus He's alive right now. He's looking down on you. He's looking down on you, and he cares for you, and I'm sure he misses you, and, you know, he, he's here for you right now, even now. No, what they mean is Jesus has taken his life back, and the body's not here because he's walking around somewhere right now. He's here on the earth, a bodily resurrection. I remember when my great-grandmother died. I think I was like, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, something like that. And uh, stuff like this just stick, sticks with you when you hear it as a kid. I remember being at the funeral, and I was upset. I think I had actually written, like, some type, I don't know, some type of, like, writing piece, like a poem or something I wrote for her before she died. And so they read it at the funeral, and I was all emotional. And I remember at the end of the, of the funeral, someone, just a family friend, came up to me, and, and they, they said, listen, I know that you're sad that she's gone, but even though she died, she's not really gone. She will continue to be with you. She will be all around you. And I know they, they were just trying to comfort me. That weirded me out so much. I, I mean, I remember, I remember like weeks later, like just kind of anytime I would think of her, I was like, am I thinking of her because she's sitting over here? You know, is this, is this like a, a spirit or a ghost? You know, it's like she's watching you. You know, I don't know. Like I know that's supposed to be comforting. It always creeped me out. Hey, they're watching you. You know, they're, they're right there. That's not what's happening here. He is risen from the dead. Jesus had physically come back to life. Fifth piece of evidence. The women are the witnesses. And this, if you were making up a story, would be absolutely insane at the time. Absolutely insane. If Luke's making up the story, then he made a fatal mistake. Okay, so even without seeing Jesus, the women believed so they returned to the disciples, and they shared the news of Jesus' resurrection. And the disciples did what men tend to do all the time. They didn't believe the women. And not only did they not believe the women, they were like, this is, what is wrong with you? This is an idle tale. This is crazy. You guys, you're sniffing the spices. Like, okay, you saw, oh, you saw angels. And, and the angel said, Jesus is alive, and the body's not there. Okay. And they just write them off. You see, the disciples are reflecting what was common at this time. Women were not believed. Women were not reliable witnesses. Their testimony was not even admissible in court. And so if Luke is fabricating this story, if he's making this up, then he made a fatal error in having a group of women as his star witnesses. Luke's story includes women as the original witnesses and the original evangelists for one reason and one reason only. That's what happened. 
that's what happened they were the ones who were there he's not trying to pull the wool over our eyes he's giving it to us straight the women were the witnesses all right and one one final piece of evidence luke shows us multiple physical appearances of jesus to multiple people because if you notice at this point no one in the scene so far has seen jesus all they know is that Jesus was buried, his body was placed in a tomb, the tomb is now empty, and angels have declared that Jesus has risen from the dead. At this point, it could still be a lie. They still could be deluded. They, maybe they were hallucinating when they saw the angels. Maybe they heard them wrong. Maybe they didn't mean physically. But Luke wants us to see that Jesus is actually alive. He spends significant time throughout the rest of the chapter showing how Jesus appeared to people. So first, we're not going to read this, but first he appears to two men walking to a village called Emmaus. And they're walking and they're talking about the scriptures. And, and finally, Jesus reveals himself to these two men. And so they return to the disciples and they shared the news that Jesus was alive and had appeared to them. And it's crazy. They, they, we always remember that passage that their hearts burned within them as they walked along the road. But what I forget in that passage is that they tell the disciples, and we knew it was really him whenever he broke bread with us. Jesus is walking and he's opening the scriptures to them, but more than that, he sits down and has a meal with them. Why would Luke include that detail here? He wants there to be no question. This is not the spirit of Jesus who is here. It's the physical Jesus who sits down at a table and has a meal with these men. Okay, well then Jesus appears to his frightened disciples so look with me at verse 36 we'll, we'll read this as they were talking about these things jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace to you but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit so jesus is wanting them to know hey peace be with you there's peace here and it scares them to death because they think they have seen a ghost at this point and jesus says to them look what he says why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts see my hands and my feet that it is i myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that i have and when he had said this he showed them his hands and his feet and while they still disbelieve so y'all at this point the disciples still can't believe it so they would never in a million years make up a story like this. They, they can't believe it when Jesus is standing right in front of them. He's like, see my hands, see my feet, come touch me. It's really me, I promise. They're still like, uh, I'm not sure. Continue, look at this. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? That, oh, that would do it for me too. That would do it for me. I mean, you're standing here with this guy who, you know, you're, you think is the Messiah, the Savior. You've been grieved because he's dead. Now he's standing here alive again. You're not really sure what that means. Are your eyes playing tricks on you? And he's standing there with you. Hey, touch me. And they're still not sure. And while they're sitting there probably like just dazed and confused, Jesus looks at him and he's just like, hey, by the way, y'all got anything to eat? <laughs> and look how ordinary this is. I love Luke so much. Have you anything here to eat? Look at verse 42. They gave him a, a piece of broiled fish. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. 
Why, why such an ordinary detail? Luke wants you to know. He wants me to know. Those of us who struggle with church, those of us who struggle with Christianity, struggle all you want. But the fact remains, Jesus died and rose again. He really took his life back. All right, so I want to summarize this and then run really quickly through a couple more things. Through all of these details, through all of these pieces of evidence, Luke shows us that Jesus really died, was really buried, and was now really alive again, possessing a body much like the one he had before his death. Now the question is, what do we make of this? In history, a man named Jesus died and then took his life and body back. Why does this matter? Why did this event change the world forever and create devotion in these timid disciples that led them to give their lives to Jesus? And we can answer that in a ton of ways, but I want to answer this simple question, why does it matter, in two very simple ways. First, why does it matter? The bodily resurrection of Jesus redeems our past. You see, the resurrection changes everything. We all have broken pasts. We are all sinners. We have all failed. We have all made messes of our lives. And there are a lot of things in your past that you know deep down you can never fix. You you can't fix it. It's too late. You went too far. It's too far gone. Those people have, have already passed away, whatever it is. And there may be deep guilt that hangs over you every single day and it's just kind of sitting there at the back of your mind or at the back of your heart. Or there may be deep wounds, deep shame that that you feel on a regular basis. The resurrection of Jesus means that we can find real redemption from our sin. And we can find real wholeness from our brokenness. And that's because the resurrection changes how we view the cross. You see, now that Jesus is alive, the cross, his death on the cross means something. If Jesus, if his body stayed in that tomb and it did decay and there was no resurrection, then Jesus was no different than the criminals that that he died next to. We would just have to look on Jesus as an inspiration, you know, as, as other people die in the world in sacrificial ways they inspire us but that would be it but since jesus took his life back it changes how we think about the cross because jesus was raised from the dead his death is different it's different it's unlike any other death and throughout the new testament paul and peter and the other apostles they explain to us what the cross actually means What it means that Jesus died on the cross. And what it means is he died for our sins. You see, Jesus was vindicated when God raised him from the dead. When God raised Jesus from the dead, it was him saying, yes, his sacrifice means something. This is God the Father accepting the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins. Jesus is vindicated through the resurrection And the resurrection is confirmation to us that our guilt and our shame is removed through Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he bore your guilt. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he bore your shame. When Jesus died on the cross, he made the way for you to be forgiven of your sins, truly and freely and forever. His death means something because he took his life back. So, we are forgiven of our sins because Jesus is alive. We are justified before God, declared righteous, declared innocent, even though we know how guilty we are deep down because Jesus is alive. And even though we have broken every relationship we have, and we have especially broken our relationship with God, we are reconciled to him because Jesus is alive. Listen, I don't know what what your story is. I don't know what what you're, you're dealing with, where you've come from. But no matter what your past is, no matter what sins you may be even struggling with right now, because Jesus is raised from the dead, when you put your faith in him, I can promise you right now, you have redemption, and you have healing, and you have forgiveness. Because it's what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished. The resurrection redeems our past, but it does something else. It does something else. It secures our future. Why does it matter that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Well, we can truly be forgiven of our sin. Our past can be redeemed. But our future is actually secure. The resurrection changes how we approach our death. There are very few certain things in life. One of them is you're going to die. You're going to die. Does that scare you? It's, it's frightening to me sometimes to think about that that there's going to come a time and it will likely be unexpected where I'm not going to have too many breaths left and I'm going to die. Then what? You know? How do you answer that question? What's your answer to it? When you die, then what? The resurrection gives us an answer. Jesus defeated death through his death. Jesus died, but then he took his life back, and he showed he had power over death. And so everyone who's united to Jesus is going to have the same story. Even though we're going to die, we will one day be raised from the dead. Even though one day our bodies, as they are, will, will perish and fade away, one day, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we're going to be given a new body. And that body will be imperishable. That body will never perish. It will never fade away. It will never decay. And it will never die again in the same way. You see, Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, it's not the same way Lazarus was. You remember the story of Lazarus? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And then Lazarus died again. Like, poor Lazarus. He had to die twice, you know. Um, but that's not, that's not how it is with Jesus. He didn't die again. He ascended into heaven. When you and I receive our new bodies after our physical death on this earth, if we're connected to Jesus, one day he's going to give us a new body. That body will never die. It's life eternal. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees us a future of hope and joy. The more the disciples heard about the resurrection, the more they encountered the resurrected Jesus, the more joy filled their hearts. I can't guarantee you that your life will be easy or painless if you start following Jesus this morning. 
I can probably guarantee you that it's going to be very difficult and painful from this point forward if you decide to follow Jesus this morning. He does not promise to immediately relieve our suffering. But if you place your faith in the resurrected Jesus, I can with full certainty and confidence guarantee you that your future is immeasurably bright and the only level of confidence I have is tied up in Luke 24, the fact that he is not here. He has risen. I can promise you that no matter how hard the rest of your days are on this earth, the life Jesus provides will never, ever come to an end. And we can have courage to be joyful in this life. We can have the audacity to be happy no matter what we face. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, he puts our joy safely beyond the reach of all of our enemies, especially our worst enemy, death itself. So why does it matter? That Jesus was raised from the dead, our past can be redeemed and our future is secure. One last question. How do you get this? How do you get in on it? How do you get in on the resurrection life that Jesus provides? What do we have to do? Surely we have to do something, right? Well, no. Jesus' bodily resurrection means that we are saved by faith, not by works. The resurrection of Jesus moves us from working for salvation to receiving salvation. You see, the resurrection shows us that Jesus has accomplished everything that's necessary for you to be saved. He's done it all. He has done the work. So, you know, if you think that you have to be a good person or or make up for your bad deeds with good deeds, and you think that in the end your record will show that you deserve to have a place with God, I promise you, you'll lose. That is not a transaction that will work out in your favor. And it's unnecessary because Jesus himself has provided everything necessary for you to be saved. The resurrection turns us from trying to earn God's love by our good deeds to freely accepting God's love as a gift through faith in his son. The resurrection of Jesus is the best news for the worst sinners. No matter where you've been, what you've done, how you felt, or what you've thought, because Jesus lives today, you can be really and truly redeemed, forgiven, justified, reconciled. By simple faith in Jesus, you and I can become something brand new. And here's the best part. This isn't just open to church people. This isn't just open to people who have grown up in in good and, and wholesome homes. The resurrection is for everyone. When Jesus burst out of the tomb, he busted the gates of the kingdom wide open so anyone can take part in the new life of Jesus. So a question for us as we close is the question that the angels asked. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? This question reminds us that we live in the completed work of Jesus. Our sins are completely forgiven and atonement has been fully made. Adoption is truly accomplished and future glory is safely secured. Left to ourselves, we would never experience these realities. But because Jesus is not among the dead, but has risen, we can say with him, it is finished. Our sin is defeated. Death 
is an enemy that cannot conquer us. We have a future, hope, that cannot be squelched by anything in this world. So, are you looking for the living among the dead? Are you looking for the living among the dead? Are you living as if Jesus is not alive but dead? Are you gathering for worship each week merely to memorialize Jesus? Do you live with a consciousness that Jesus is alive today? I'm not asking you to journey to a tomb to be inspired by the founder of our faith. I'm asking you in this room, in this moment right now, to turn your heart to Jesus and respond with faith. If, if you're a Christian, I'm asking you to do that too. Respond with faith in the risen Jesus. Trust him afresh today. And then resolve to live for him, to follow him, because he was really raised from the dead. If you're not a believer in this room, I, I want to invite you. Turn from all you're giving your life to. Turn your heart to Jesus. Place your faith in him. And you will be saved. And it's guaranteed because he really did rise from the dead.